This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us is here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me. As always, NFL Draft just a few weeks away. Here at Saturday to Sunday, we are continuing with our positional preview shows, but now we are bringing great guests from the industry, from the NFL Draft, who are scouting these prospects to get a different take from the ones you've been hearing from me here at Saturday Sunday all year. We are really excited tonight to have David Syverson back on from Our Lads. David, welcome back to the Saturday Sunday Football Podcast. Uh, my pleasure, man. Victory number one for you. As you said my last name correctly, so nice job. <laughs> we're off to a good start. <laughs> Absolutely. And last year you were on, I forget what position. I think we talked tight ends and a little yes. bit of other stuff. So yep. this year we're going to stick with some pass catchers, but we're going to go deep into this wide receiver class because it's a really interesting draft class. Um, the buzz lately, I know Jim Nagy of the Senior Bowl put something out there that was generating a lot of buzz, I think it was a day or two ago, saying that, you know, from what he's hearing, you know, the NFL is not nearly as high on this wide receiver class in terms of round one talent than maybe what's out there, you know, on mock drafts and, and in the media. So why don't we just start there, big picture, overall, what is your take on this draft class? I think most will agree it's a little bit of a down year. But, like, how down do you think it is compared to where we've been in the, with these recent wide receiver classes? Yeah, I mean, I would say over the past four years especially, uh, dating back to 2019, I mean, just year after year, you just had deep wide receiver class. I mean, I felt like every year, like, a deepest wide receiver class ever. We would say that 2019, said it again in 2020, said it again in 2021 – and now it does seem like the shift, uh, the tide is shifting a little bit towards the defensive backfield. And this is something that we heard was coming uh, a few years ago, where a lot of these kids, a lot of these guys that are mentoring high school football players, it goes back all the way there and said, hey, if you want your clearest path, your most efficient path to the NFL, you got to get on the defensive side of the ball. The, the receiver market is too saturated. There's just too many of these guys coming into the league now. And I think that's why some of these teams are just very willing to let some of these guys go or, or trade them away for, for future assets, draft picks, right? I mean, just look at the amount of times we've seen receivers drafted in recent years, and it's a passing league. But you know that these, you know, these spots can be filled. The production can be filled. You're never going to replace a Tyree Kill. But, you know, did Kansas City really miss him that much this past year? I don't, I don't think so. The production can be filled. Um, you kind of approach like the money ball approach with the Oakland A's in the early 2000s. Like you lose a, a Jason Giambi type off first base because you can't pay him, but you find a way to replace the production. And I think uh, because these receiver markets have been so saturated in recent years, uh, it's just been an easier path to replace some of these guys. With that said, the 2022, uh, sorry, 2023 wide receiver class is not what we've seen in recent years. And I think one thing it's truly missing is just an abundance of first-round talent. Um, I have uh, a definite first-round grade in Smith and Jigba, and then I have two guys that are, you know, I still consider first-round receivers, but guys that you would pick more close to the 20 to 25 range, which is where the Giants are picking. And, you know, I know a lot of the talk is, hey, we only have one first-round grade on a receiver, and, you know, what do you really classify as a first-round receiver? I think that needs to be defined first, right? If you're going to tell me that there's only 20 first-round picks in this draft, 
what are the guys <laughs> considered uh, that are being picked 21 through 31 this year, right? They're, they're first-round picks still. Um, so I think that's a discussion for another time. But um, I, I agree that there's one true you know, top-tier first-round receiver that will be picked in the top 20. But, you know, it, it's a tough thing to really – if you look back to 2019 – you know, how many of the receivers were taken in the first round? It's uh, it's 13. If you look uh, rounds two through three from that same, t- uh, uh, that same time span, it's 31 receivers. And you have to start really looking at the success rate, the hit rate on these guys. And unless you're taken in the top 20 picks in the first round, the receiver hit rate is very similar from that point on in round one or day two. And, you know, as deep as these classes look at this point, when you actually look at what these guys are doing in the NFL, I mean, a, a, over a third of those guys are not even on their teams anymore that drafted them. So it's just a really hard position to hit on. And there's a lot of reasons behind that. And that's why I, th- I think that's what's going to happen in this year's wide receivers class. It's going to be really tough to figure out who are the hits and who are the misses. Yeah, and I think that's why some teams, and I know we'll mention the Giants a lot tonight, some teams, like the Giants, might say, is there really much of a gap with who's going to be there at 25 compared to the guy who they can get at 57 or maybe even, you know, at the end of the third round? And yep. I think that's going to be, it's not just the Giants having that conversation. There's going to be teams throughout mid-first round, late-first round that I think are having that conversation. So before we start talking about some of those guys that are maybe those late-round one guys that you said, uh, there's a couple that you that you said you're intrigued with. Let's start with the Jackson Smith and the Jigba talk. How high do you have him rated? Do you think, you know, he – I know we've only really seen him play slot. Do you think mm-hmm. that's where he's going to exclusively be? Were we kind of robbed a little bit this year that maybe if he played more this year we would have got to see a little bit more outside? Do you think that's something he could handle at the next level? Yeah, I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, I know a lot about uh, body types. It's just, that's my, my full-time endeavor right now in the gym and fitness arena right now. And when you look at him, it's the first thing I notice. It's the first thing I notice with, with most players is what does the body type present? And he is six foot 196, but he's a small six foot 196, right? He's thick and strong, but what I mean by small is he lacks length. Right. Um, you could tell on his legs, right? Short limbs, short arms, short legs. And usually in that in those cases, those guys really can't open it up with long stride speed down the field. They're not true vertical threats. But on the contrary, their strengths, similar think about Julian Edelman, uh, the way he moved. He was plenty fast, but not a blazer downfield, but the the quickness and explosion that he had getting in and out of breaks were partially coming from athleticism, obviously, agility, obviously, but his body type. Right. And, you know, his 6.573 coin, three cone and 3.93 short shuttle are all time great. You know, a, a lot of us get attached to the 40 times in workouts and in the combine. And if someone goes out and runs a 4.3 or sub 4.3, they're a news story for the next two, three weeks. What he did in the three cone and short shuttle was news story worthy. <laughs> you know, the, the, you're talking about special movement traits and unlike a lot of the other guys that we've seen do that at the combine since 2000, right? This kid's an actual football player, right? Sometimes you'll have track athletes show up or just freak athletes that show up. They put up impressive numbers, but they don't even get drafted. Or if they do, they're out of the league in three, four years. This kid's an actual football player. And in regards to the slot versus outside argument, right? Look who was on his team last year, right? You had Marvin Harrison, you had Chris Olave, you had Garrett Wilson, right? I think the the slot projection for him is probably where he will end up. 
But I do think the skill set is there for him to play the outside in certain looks. Um, yes, uh, 83% slot, 17% wide. But it, there are receivers in this class that are even more extreme, that did not play, did not have that much variety. And yes, I do think we were robbed. To answer your question, I think part of the plan this year would have been to play him outside a little bit more. But it doesn't take away from what his projection is at the next level. Do you think teams early 20s, mid 20s, late 20s, do, do you look at Smith Najigba as a prospect that a team in that range, if he falls to 15, 17, 18, late teens, is he worth giving up? I guess it depends on how far, right? If it's early to mid 20s, it might be a third rounder. If it's late 20s, yep. it might be a second rounder. Yep. Do, you, do you consider him a prospect worthy for a team somewhere in that 20 to 30 range, if they see him sitting there like 18 or 19, is would you, if you were making the call, be willing to give up a second or third round pick, depending on how far you're making the jump up, to go up and get him? Do you think he's worthy of doing that for a guy who might be mostly slot, but probably can learn to play on the outside a little bit as well? It's a great question, and it really comes down to the situation, right? If, if we need a template answer, the answer is yes. This is a guy that you trade up for. Um, you try to avoid these trades where, hey, the market at wide receiver this year is not good enough, so we have to make sure we get the guy. A lot of times when you do that, you kind of you lose that value. Whenever you trade up, there's got to be good value. Yes, I know you want the player, um, but let's use the Giants as an example, right? If you're going to – they are in the wide receiver market, there's no question. And this is the kind of player that I do think would fit there. Uh, the question with him in relation to New York is they have a few slots already. And no matter what, even if he does have inside-outside versatility, he's going to be primarily inside. He's primarily going to be a slot. So now this really can end up messing up the usage of Wandale Robinson, Sterling Shepard, Jamison Crowder, I'm not really counting right now, Paris Campbell, right? Guys that can move around a little bit, but their primary focus is also slot. So, you know, I don't think this is going to happen. But if the Giants were going to move up from 25 and they had to give up a second-round pick, Right. Is that worth it? Right. That's the million dollar question that we're trying to answer right now. And to me, let me ask you this. I'm going to answer the question with a question. A year into their career, Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson, would you give up a second round pick in addition to your first to move up for them? All right. If the answer is yes, this is a no brainer because this kid is better. He's going to have more impact in the league right away. I also think the upside is right up there. I think Garrett Wilson is a little above Olave with with long term upside. But I think Smith Najigba offers the same amount of impact on an offense. So to me, yes, I would give up a second-round pick for him. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating question. I'm a huge fan of him. I know some people were down. I look at him and say he basically won at the collegiate level like Cooper Cup wins at the NFL level. And if is he going to have that type of success at the NFL? That's a to-be-determined, right? We don't right. know that. If we all knew that, the, the whole NFL draft, you know, procrastinate, uh, you know, prognosticating would be a lot easier if we knew it was going to translate as that. But that's how he won at the college game. So I think he's going to have great success at the next level. He's a guy that I think would be worthy of moving up for. You mentioned you had two other guys that you were said were kind of on that border, right, of the first round. Who mm -hmm. were those two? Because I think there's a handful of names that it could come from. So, so share with the audience who those two guys are for you. Yeah, I mean, there's a cluster of receivers after him. I do have Smith and Jake Buck kind of in his own tier. I think he's one of the top 10 players in the draft. And, you know, if you're talking, looking at the entire draft, I don't think there's going to be another receiver in the top 20, right, in terms of overall uh, grade. But Zay Flowers and Quentin Johnson are my two guys that 
are kind of in that next tier together. And then, you know, you do you go down a couple spots. You have Cedric Tillman, Jordan Addison, Marvin Mims, Jalen Hyatt. But the next two, and I still think they're in consideration for number 25 overall, are, are Flowers and Johnston. And, you know, Flower, they both have – this is the thing that, you know, you could hear someone like Jim Nagy say, hey, they're not first-round receivers. The reason why you can make that argument against these two is they're both missing something, right? There's both something about their games that – kind of prevent them from getting a complete receiver label, right? Flowers is pretty obvious. He's small. Um, he's 5'9", 182. He's got 29-inch arms, 72-inch wingspan. Like, that is small, small, right? You're, you're below, you know, if you're going to label guys big, average, small, he's below the small line when you're looking at all those measurables put together. Um, you know, and you're talking about an offense here with the Giants. You already have Robinson, who is all-time small. You're probably talking one of the smallest receivers ever to come into the league and, and be drafted in the second round. You have Sterling Shepard, 5'10", 30-inch arms. You have Paris Campbell, who's under six foot tall. You know, you're really – I know Joe Shane has said, hey, we value separation, speed, quickness, agility, get open, be able to play multiple spots. Flowers checks all those spots at a high level. Uh, but at some point, you need more size. And I know Darren Waller. I know Isaiah Hodgins. But – you know, I really I'm a firm believer, strong believer in the traditional your wide receiver room needs to look like a basketball team. You need to have your small point guards, your shifty guys. You need to have your possession guys that are your small forwards. Then you have to have your big boys. And right now, I just don't think they have that big guy that can really win in contested situations. So um, that that's Flowers' biggest shortcoming. But if you think you can work around that, one thing that goes his, in his advantage is he was 66 percent wide. 34% slot. So he played wide twice as much as he did in the slot. And, you know, so you know he can, A, do both, but B, you know he can be an outside guy. You know, and there have been some receivers, Tyler Lockett's one of them, right, that has lined up on the outside at that size. And because he's so shifty and quick, you know, the, the lack of size in some ways even helps him. And, you know, you're talking about a game breaker with the ball in his hands. And I think that's what this Giants offense is going to turn into it's going to be more about yards after catch rather than, you know, Daniel Jones throwing it into traffic. Yeah, and I think when we talk about Zay Flowers, when you evaluated a guy like Elijah Moore a couple years ago, did yeah. you think he was a guy that could play outside? Because, like, that was – I think that's – he lives in that same world of the, of the guy we're talking about here. And the Jets did play him outside. He had success at times in that rookie year, and then things kind of fell apart there and obviously led to the trade, you know, after his year two now. But do you see Zay, like, do you think he could be that Tyler Lockett? Do you think he could do the transition to play outside like Elijah Moore did? Or, again, do you think he's mostly his best position where he would have sustained success would be the slot? Yeah, I, I do think he can play outside. I think he could do both. And and that's why I do. You know, I got into some comparisons this year, um, not necessarily projection of how they're going to play in the NFL, but more about their skill set, body type. I've been asked so many times, over the years about this and because the market is asking i've put a little more effort into it this year and you know i put these guys into you know a database that i have and that's the name that popped out uh with with all these is tyler lockett and i do think that's who flowers can be now what made tyler lockett you know a good prospect into a very good player is how much his skill set developed as a route runner but more importantly and this relates to flowers is as a pass catcher you know his he, you know, he's got – I'm not going to call Flowers or even Johnson bad hands. They're not bad pass catchers, but they're not good yet either. They're not reliable. His his drop rate in college was over 10%. Um, for the number that you really want, you want that number to be under cl – probably closer to 5%. You 
is, you know, how many times uh, are you dropping the ball in relation to how many times are you catching the football? And that number is a little too high there. And when you're talking about a receiver that already has less margin to work with, meaning he doesn't have a wide radius, you have to be very accurate when you're throwing him the football because of those size shortcomings, because of how big defensive backs are becoming in the NFL right now. Um, you can't have those errors. And I think that's what's going to potentially separate Flowers from the locket level. You know, is does he really, you know, apply himself and work hard at getting better at catching the football, become an even better route runner, um, understand the mental components of the position? Those are all things player development, right? Does the team have a plan for the player? And I think that's what it's going to come down to for Flowers. Yeah, I think I think you're spot on there. If we turn to Quinton Johnson, you kind of mentioned what was holding him back a little bit from like that higher tier was there were some concerns. Are your concerns the same that have been out there in the industry? The drops maybe doesn't always play up to his size, you know, some route refinement and separation issues there. Are those the big concerns you see with Quinton Johnson? And if so, do you think some of them or all of them are fixable or is or is it work around that and, and find how he wins and maximize the strengths that he does have that still makes him worthy of a, of a rather high pick? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. You could have a similar discussion as Johnson to Flowers, but just com- for completely different reasons. I mean, this dude is, is much bigger, right? Six two and a half, thirty three and a half 33 inch arms. You know, his wingspan is, is, is almost 10 inches bigger than Flowers. And, you know, you talk about football, like 10 inches is a lot, right? Um, but the issue is, like you said, he's not as refined, right? I think the learning curve for him is going to be much more significant than some of those receivers. And you could talk about the skill set. I do think he has a lot of attention to detail. When I watch him run rounds, he does it right. He's not the most sudden mover, right? But once, and he's the guy that he needs some space to get going. And once he gets those long strides opened up, he's going to get over the top. I know he didn't break, uh, he didn't, he didn't uh, blow away his 40. I think it was around four, four, five, four, five, five, whatever. Um, He's not he's not a sudden burst guy, and but you have to note uh, neither is DK Metcalf, right? But once they get going in space, right, you're not catching that guy from behind. So let let's not mistake him for someone that's actually you know we, we label four five five guys as possession receivers. He's not that. He can get over the top, but you know when you talk about him catching the football, running routes, uh, and just knowing how to play versatile. That's, I don't think he has that. And what I mean there is his um, his alignment at TCU is weird. In 2021, he was pretty much always lined up on one side of the football. It was like 95% of his snaps. 2022, he went to the other side, but never went to the other side. All right. Whether it was right, left, I, was, I'm not, I don't recall. I think in uh, 2022, this past season, he was primarily on the left side. And on the 2021, he's primarily on the right side, almost never in the slot. So you're talking about a guy that in the NFL, you don't do that. You you need to move around at least left to right. Ideally, as a first round receiver, top number one receiver, it's inside outside. He's never done it. And because of that offensive scheme, a little on the simple side, there are going, I think it's just going to take him longer if you're really going to use any history as an indicator. Um, but one thing he brings to the table that never gets talked about is he's a monster after the catch and as like he he almost resembles a tight end with how hard he is to get down with how bad tackling is in the nfl especially among defensive backs this is the kind of guy that creates if you can get him on a bubble screen on a short on a shallow crosser 
Um, he's going to create after the catch. He's, he's got one of the best yard after catch numbers in the country. He broke um, uh, more tackles than almost everyone in this draft class. So that's just something to keep an eye on, that if he's used correctly, again, just the team, and this happens a lot in the NFL, if you don't have a plan for this kid when he comes into the league, he's going to get that bust label. If you expect to just him to go out there and, and be A.J. Brown right away, you're going to be disappointed. But if a team gives him you know, 50% snap share early on, put him in favorable situations, and give him a year or two to learn both spots, I think the upside with him is is probably higher than anyone in this draft class at the wide receiver position. Yeah, he's a fascinating prospect. I think he's one of the most polarizing players in the whole class because I think you could look at him and say, yeah, he's he he has the ability to maybe be the true alpha outside X Y receiver in this class, but he, there's there's work and refinement and development to get there. So it, it's gonna be really interesting to see kind of where the NFL values him. I think early on in the draft process. Most people thought, oh, yeah, he's a lock, top 20, top 25. Now I think it's, does he go round one or does he is he sitting there early portion of day two? And I think if he is, you'll see teams be aggressive to maybe go up there and get him. We saw the Packers last year be aggressive to go up and get a guy like Christian Watson. With the questions of, with, with Quinton Johnson, I still think if he's sitting there top of Friday, uh, the board on Friday night, you're going to see a lot of teams really intrigued with him to start out there on round two. Why don't we take this to who kind of makes up maybe – I know you said there's a pretty big group there. Those are the two guys that were kind of borderline for you in terms of first-round grades. Uh, is the next wave of guys, the guys that have been out there, the Jalen Hyatts, the um, – uh, who am I forgetting? The other uh, – Jordan Addison, or do you kind of have Jordan Addison and Jalen Hyatt more mixed with that next group of guys like Tillman and uh, Downs and that group? Yeah, I mean, I would say the next five, six guys, they, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys, they're pretty much have the same grade. And I think they could be based, uh, their, their selection where they get picked in relation to each other can be very much about schematic fit and, and personnel situation. So I don't really view these guys as better than others. Um, I think there's better fits for the Giants than others. Uh, but, you know, from a, from a macro perspective, these guys are very similar. They're just very different skill sets too. I mean, I love Cedric Tillman. And I think the ankle injury and the explosion of Jalen Hyatt are making many people forget about how good this guy was in 2021. Um, I mean, he was he was big time. He was 64 catches, 1,081 yards, 12 touchdowns as an SEC receiver with a Hendon Hooker that was still kind of figuring it out in that offense. 4.4% um, drop rate. He, he had over 50% success rate in contested situations. This is a, a big-time possession receiver with some sneaky speed. And he had an ankle injury that, in my opinion, many receivers would have decided, hey, I'm done. I'm going to start getting ready for the draft. That dude fought like hell to come back and play football last year. He had an ankle procedure done that is almost like a, a, a shot of desperation. You know, like you, you would do this going back into war. <laughs> you know, like it, it's most guys that had to have that procedure done on their ankle – would not have come and played and he played and he know he knew that you know that tape that came out of this 2022 season was not overly impressive and for anyone that has not watched his 2021 tape i would encourage you to spend some time over the next couple of weeks um as soon as possible and just go watch some of that tape and it, it's hard to argue that he's at a, at a level lower than anyone in, in this draft class other than uh smith and jigba so it's just something i, I think he's the most under talked about guy i think he's a great fit for the giants you know, then my next two guys, Jordan Addison and Marvin Mims, you know, they're actually similar players to each other. Um, Addison, 
you know, he wins the Bletnikoff Award last year in Pittsburgh. He also suffers an ankle injury, fought back to play again. Um, you know, it, I don't think we really saw the full exposure to him in 2022 that we saw in 2021. And the numbers back that up. He was targeted 144 times with Kenny Pickett as his quarterback in 21. Only 79 times this past season. It's almost cut in half how many times he was throwing the ball. But one thing that we've seen out of him, and a lot of teams are going to like this, was that inside-outside versatility. You know, primarily a slot 21, 2022, he kind of played all outside. And and I do think when you're talking about NFL route running and having a feel and knowing where to make your breaks and, and where to, you know, find those creases, Addison is a natural there. But the pre-draft process for him has been not friendly. You know, at the end of the day, you're going to go into the draft weekend saying he's five foot eleven, he's one seventy three, small hands, short arms, average movement traits. You know, and then you start to say, all right, does this make me second guess the production he showed in 2021 because there was nobody else on that team to throw the ball to? You know, so it, it's a tough situation to figure out. Um, you know, and, and Marvin Mims brings a similar skill set to the table. He's much faster. He's much more explosive. He's got incredible hands. Um, you know, a, a disadvantage for him at Oklahoma was really poor quarterback play in 2022 and different offensive systems. And he, he could have left and he stayed there at Oklahoma. Um, not sure if he's regretting that decision or not, but he, he's a guy that I, I think is like Tillman, a little under-talked about. And I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him be the number four guy overall taken from the receiver spot. Yeah, I think you made some really good points there. I want to circle back. Let's let's go back to Cedric Tillman. Yeah, the 2021 film is the film that people really got to dig into. I think it was Alabama. I don't know if it was Georgia. It was another big-time program. He had two monster games against two really, you know, high-caliber high teams with, that play good defense. Do you have a – you mentioned before that you were trying to do a little bit more comps this year. I haven't heard a lot of people throw out comps for Cedric Tillman. I've heard maybe, like, stylistically, Mike Williams. Like, is that kind of the world you you see? Do you have somebody else in mind? Or is it not something that, off the top of your head, you have someone for Cedric Tillman? That, that's one I haven't really gotten to yet in terms of, all right, do, do I have a really good comparison? Uh, Mike Williams, you know, if you want to compare those two, I think Tillman's got a little bit more juice to him and a little bit more – sudden movement in and out of breaks like Mike Williams has really turned into you know go deep we'll chuck the ball up to you and we'll see what happens right he's also getting injured all the time right um I think Tillman has a little bit more versatility to his game um you know off, off the top of my head you know I think there is some AJ Brown style in his play he's a little different body type I mean AJ Brown looks like a running back now but Tillman has that that you know really tough guy to break uh to, to be in contested situations. He can run every level of the route tree at a high level and just excellent concentration when the ball's thrown his way. You know, you see receivers like Quentin Johnson's an example, a lot of body catching. And when I see that over and over, even when he's wide open, it's a concentration, it's a lack of confidence in your, your eye-hand coordination. Tillman attacks the ball with his hands. You can tell that that's not even a thought for him. When the ball's near him, attack it with your hands. And he's got big, strong mitts, similar to A.J. Brown. So, you know, stylistically, I, I see some of, that, some of that in him. Second-round pick, by the way, um, that, uh, that, that I think has that kind of upside, too. Yeah, and when, when you were saying some of those characteristics there, again, the Giants fandom in me 
we're thinking a little bit Hakeem Nix, that those big mitts, really strong at the catch point, like yep. tough physical type guy. Like, you know, any, any Giants fan would sign up for uh, a player who, who would replicate what uh, Hakeem Nix brought to the Giants when he was healthy for sure. I, from what you're saying, I think this next question may have been answered already, but I'm going to ask you just so you could elaborate on a little bit. If you were making a pick between late round one, Jordan Addison, or late round two, Marvin Mims, it sounds like you would think the value is with Marvin Mims and pivot to a different position uh, in round one. Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely correct on that. And it's partial to the player. You know, I think that the value is pretty similar with Mims and Addison. So if you can get one around later, it, it, that alone is a no-brainer. But I also think this Giants team needs to approach the draft with, with a little bit more intent on making the trenches a, a deeper and just better, right? I mean, the, the bar has been set so low, especially on the offensive line, for what is good, what is bad. They've been bad for so long. And because 2022, we did see a better group, and I think that was a huge part of their success last year, they're still considered average to maybe even slightly below average. And I, I think that on the defensive line, you're a little worried about the long-term future uh, with Lennon Williams probably not being back here next year uh, with the injuries to Aziz Ojolari and, you know, look no different than the Eagles template guys. I mean, you, you got to view these offensive and defensive lines as, as eight or nine positions, not one or two. Right. Like you need a lot of bodies in there and they just don't, you know, you have one injury to Kayvon Thibodeau or Dexter Lawrence, who are you putting in there? You know, that, that answer is just not solvable right now because there's nothing there that you really get excited about. And because of that, you know, to answer your question, I think Mims in the, in the first while, sorry, in the second, while also being able to um, improve the trenches, improve your pass rush, improve your, your control of the point of attack would be the way to go in round one. Yeah, I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think whether it's the Giants or other teams in that mix, because there's that little bubble there from like 21 to 25 with teams that, you know, even with the Baltimore going out and signing Odell, I think it's still be in the wide receiver market. There's a handful of teams in that 21 to 25 range that could be thinking wide receiver, but it's going to be interesting to see how many pull the trigger or they're thinking the same approach. We can wait late second round. The value is going to be there. Guys like Marvin Min, Cedric Tillman. Does anybody fall that maybe we're the media has been hyping up a little bit too much? Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you mentioned Cedric Tillman before. Let's pivot over to his teammate, Jalen Hyatt. Obviously, mm-hmm. this year was the year he kind of broke out. Uh, wasn't asked a lot of wasn't asked to run a wide variety of routes there. Uh, but the ones he ran, obviously very effective. Is it hard to evaluate a player like Jalen Hyatt, who was just so good at a handful of things that that offense and that scheme asked him to do when we're trying to project it to can he expand and develop on that to be a more complete player at the next level? Yeah, he, he's a tough eval. Um, a, there's just not a lot on him. You know, I mean, 2022, you have a full season worth of Tate, right? Targeted 89 times, which is not a lot if you think about it. But 67 catches, you know, 1,200 over 1,200 plus yards, 15 touchdowns. I mean, what he did in 2022 is it was remarkable and deserves a lot of respect. But prior to that, the two years prior to, was basically 62 targets combined, 41 catches combined, about 500 yards combined. Like there wasn't much prior to 2022, and you know, I still have a high enough grade on him to warrant you know an early second round pick. Uh, but there isn't enough tape on him to make me really feel and enough variety on tape for me to make me feel like he's going to be anything more than 
you know, what Will Fuller, what Will Fuller brought to the Texans before injury or what Quez Watkins has brought to the Eagles in glimpses, right? Um, you know, and, and you have to start asking yourself, uh, what does that do for the Giants offense? One thing he can do, no matter what, his presence on the field will stress the defense. It'll stress the secondary. It creates a lot of space for someone like Darren Waller, Saquon Barkley. Um, but is that enough? Like, what? How much value is that? I mean, you could find speed guys later in the draft as well. And Jalen Hyatt, I think this is a player that the meetings with coaches, I think the Giants are bringing him in soon for, for a 30 visit. Um, and just those sessions on the whiteboard, how much does he truly understand about the game? Um, he's going to have to line up outside in some looks. He was 90% slot, 10% outside, and basically ran three routes for Tennessee. Um, you know, I don't know if he ever even ran an option route there, right? In, in an offense like the Giants and a lot of offenses in the NFL, it's much more complex than people think. And, you know, however, however comp- whatever level of complexity you think it is to play receiving the NFL, multiply it by five. You know, and that that's where it comes into play. So I think those sessions, you know, you get him on the whiteboard and, and tell him to talk about concepts and route combinations. And if you don't feel confident that he can learn and, and take his mental game to close to where his physical game is, uh, it, it's a tough gamble to make. And so he really is, no matter where he gets drafted, it's going to be a swing for the fence. You know, it's going to be a, a Giancarlo Stanton home run or strikeout. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, where he goes. He's a, he's another guy who I think if he falls to the early portion of round two, are going to be teams that want that tactical value that he can bring to an offense and that explosive playmaking speed. We talked about a couple smaller, you know, thin wide receivers already, but there's that whole next group of them. So let's just kind of bring them up kind of collectively and just maybe talk about who's your favorite from the bunch. Uh, are they all slot onlys, or do we think any of these guys could could be on the outside? The Giants may or may not be interested in these guys, but let's just think more big picture. If we're talking Josh Downs, Tank Dell, and Tyler Scott, uh, do you have a clear pecking order? Are they all in the same tier for you? Maybe just kind of talk through those guys a little bit. Um, same tier, yes. My, my pecking order there is is Dell and Downs, um, and then you know a couple spots down you see Tyler Scott. The thing about Downs is I do think he's he is the guy that is a slot only. So if you're looking for a guy that can play both or a guy that you could shift outside, I don't think he's it. Um, I just the, the size just isn't there. He's not great in contested situations, but he I mean he's elite short space mover. He he's probably just under Jackson Smith and Jigba when it comes to running routes and making and doing damage underneath. Um, but Dell to me, he's an interesting one because he been, he's even smaller. He's a, he's light too. But if you remember back to Kadarius Tony, um, some maybe some PTSD for Giants fans. But you know what made him versatile was just a, a different level of change of direction and agility. And yes, the size is an issue. It would scare me. It's going to scare me when you know a safety linebacker fall on top of him. Are you know is, are his legs going to snap off? Right. He's he's that kind of thing. He looks like a track athlete. Right. Um, but he's hard to touch. You know, you try to, yeah, I'd be, if I was a corner, a good press corner, I'd be afraid to get up in his face because he can make you look silly. And if he gets an inch, he's going to take a foot. If you give him a foot, he's going to take a yard. He's that kind of guy that he creates separation, but also he builds off of separation. You see that on tape all the time. I mean, he was such a lethal threat in the red zone. And you normally associate that with what? Size, strength, leaping ability. He just, you couldn't touch him. And if you have a well-timed offense and a well-put-together offensive scheme, right, you can take advantage of a guy like this on the outside. And then you also throw in some of the return ability. 
I think you just get more out of Dell than, than these other guys. Tyler Scott, I do like as a vertical route runner. We just didn't see enough out of him. I just wish I saw, like, you'd see glimpses, but you wouldn't see consistency. And I didn't love him against contact either. He does have good hands. He can make some spectacular catches. He's got a, a fun, if you're a highlight reel guy, you could probably put together an impressive, fun-to-watch highlight, re highlight reel of his. Um, but I, I don't trust him against press coverage. He's more of a straight-line burst guy. He doesn't have that sudden movement that Dell and Downs do. Yeah, I, I think when you mentioned Tank Dow and you said the type of plays near the red zone, immediately my mind was wandering back to the Super Bowl. And you think about the Kadarius Tony touchdown, and then a few minutes later, right, it was the Sky Moore or vice versa. I forget the order in yeah. which they came. Like, you could totally see teams utilizing a guy like Tank Dow to run those exact same type of plays inside the red zone and be very effective. I think even the Giants did something like that this year on one of Wandell's touchdowns. Like, so teams are going to maximize that quickness and speed. If Tutu Atwell can go in round two, Tank Dell's going in round two, I think, uh, because teams want that explosiveness and that playmaking ability for sure. I think we've covered the guys who I feel are definitely day two guys. I think the next wave of day two guys would be – to talk about would be Jaden Reed, Jonathan Mingo, A.T. Perry, Rishi Rice. Are those guys that you think are day two caliber players? I think Mingo's got a good shot at going day two just because there, there's a uniqueness to him um, just physically, but also it, uh, like his body and his build. And he's 220 pounds. You know, I mean, it's, it's hard not to think about it. I don't want to bring him up again, but it's hard not to think about A.J. Brown because of where A.J. Brown went to college. And that body type, I mean, 6'1", really, 6'2", 220, 32-inch arms, right? huge hands, right? And uh, a guy that was a huge part of that offense on so many different levels, vertical threat, screen threat, bubble screens, yards after catch. Um, a little bit of a guy, takes a little bit of time to really get going, so I think separation is going to be hard for him. I also think he's really rough around the edges as a route runner, a little sloppy there. Uh, but the tools are unique, and uniqueness plus production – get you drafted higher than others. So if there's a tie between Mingo and, and some of the guys that you just listed, who are, you know, are, are very near him on my wide receiver stack, he gets the key, he gets the pick because they, you know, these guys, some of these other guys are 220 pounds with that kind of speed down the field, you know, one, and, and dangerous after the catch the way he is. So, you know, Mingo is a guy that I think is going to go a little bit higher than what people think. Yeah. I think, I think, You've heard people say, like, early on, he could be used a little bit like Debo is used. Just that physicality and toughness that he brings is really impressive. When you look at A.T. Perry, people have put out there, obviously, we know Quinton Johnson could maybe be that X. You've heard Cedric Tillman is one of the best outside X receivers, and then they brought up A.T. Perry. Do you think, do, do you see it similarly? Is he one of the best? We don't have a lot in this class, but is he one of the top X receivers in this class? Do you think he's a guy who warrants going top 100, or do you think he's a guy who maybe should start somewhere, you know, early portion of day three? A.T. Perry just made the top 100 on, on my uh, top 100 overall. So he's he's right in that window. Um, hey, I'll tell you what, if you like Quentin Johnston, you got to like this kid. You know, it's very similar size, length, radius, and I actually think A.T. Perry is much more NFL-ready. Uh, I don't think he has the upside that Quentin has, but as a leaper, as a route runner, he's every bit at Quentin Johnson, if not even better. Um, you know, not as strong, not as effective after the catch, so I think he's going to be more of a possession receiver type. But I'll tell you what, 
I love T. Higgins coming out of Clemson, and there are a lot of traits in A.T. Perry's game that scream T. Higgins. And he's now turned into one of the best draft values we've had over the past few years. He's about to get a monster contract from Cincinnati. Um, and, and I think A.T. Perry is also, you know, I try not to – I do listen to these guys talk a lot. That's one of my processes that I do. It's a little different. I watch the tape. I get the numbers, but I like to watch them talk, right? So I try to find as many interviews of them as possible and just to see if there's, you know, how much intellect there is there, how much understanding. And he's a smart kid. And when you when you interview these kids, I mean, I can't tell you how many people really understand how much the interviews mean. You know, in some cases, you have coaches and scouts say that the interviews are more important than the workouts at the Combine. And Perry's the kind of guy that I think he's going to open some eyes in interviews. He's going to make you go back and watch some of that tape a little bit closer. And if there's a tie and you're looking for someone that's like smart and can really soak in an NFL playbook quickly, A.T. Perry's going to you know bump himself up uh, up a few spots on those wide receiver stack. Yeah, I think you're going to see because we've we have we talked about so many smaller wide receivers. I think that's going to help Perry's cause to kind of lock himself in. I think into the day two range, just because we are lacking right in those outside bigger type wide receivers. So you know maybe like you don't get Quinton Johnson late one or early two, a team will be looking for At Perry somewhere there in round three. We mentioned earlier about Cedric Tillman going back to the 2021 film to really see his best. I kind of felt the same way about Jaden Reed. I felt like Michigan State's offense kind of this year was was a mess. That to see his best, you had to go back a year. He's an interesting guy because I feel like there's nothing that stands out as like this great or you know elite characteristic. But I kind of feel like he's pretty solid across the board. Do you see Jaden Reed similar? Is is he a guy that while he might not be in your top 100, is he close? Is he a guy that you think could sneak in, or do you think he's more of a guy who should definitely be around four or five guy? Uh, I think he's around three slash round four guys. Okay. So I think he's going to go in that tier. Um, you know, one thing that he brings to the table is he, he's excellent returner. You know, he, he can actually be a difference making punt returner. You could draft this guy just to return punts. And he's much more than that. He is a receiver inside, outside versatility. I even think he's got some Stefan Diggs in his game, just the, the movement style. And he's a competitor. You know, that's one thing I love about his game. I love watching him play throughout the year is, he, he's a tough dude. He gets a lot out of himself. He fights through contact at, with the ball in his hands. He's always hungry for more. And I, I, he's the kind of guy that in big moments, he actually elevates his level of play. And it's actually easy to see, um, even dating back to his days at Western Michigan. I mean, he's a guy that can do all that. Um, just love the attitude. And he made a lot of different catches uh, at Michigan State. Sometimes because of the systems, the schemes, the routes they run, you don't see guys catch back shoulder. You guys, you don't see guys catch uh, crossers while they're moving, you know, at all out speed. He, he made a lot of different catches and everything looked natural to him too. Uh, he looks just a natural pass catcher. And I really like that about his game. Yeah. I, I think Reed is one of those guys who, if a team doesn't go wide receiver early, right. Pivots to a different position in the, in the draft, I could see a team somewhere around three or even like you said, early round four, looking at a guy like Jaden Reed as a pretty good consolation prize, a guy who I think could come out, you said be a good returner and help out in that regard. And then also add to the receiver room Two guys who I feel like have kind of had differing pre-draft processes. One is Rishi Rice, who I feel like, a lot of people thought he would generate a lot of buzz at the senior bowl. Didn't really happen. Then is his combine people, you know, the four, five, one, I don't think that's that slow, but 
that wasn't a thing that really made him stand out. And then on the flip side, I feel like Trey Palmer generated a lot of buzz in the pre-draft process with his athletic testing and stuff like that. So maybe a little bit about Rishi Rice and Trey Palmer. Are are you buying the hype in terms of them going in differing directions in the pre-draft process? Or do you need things kind of just level out when people get back to this really analyzing the film? Yeah, I mean, this is a classic example. Two guys on the opposite side of the spectrum. You know, pre-draft process has a has a tendency to boost guys a little too much or drop guys a little too much. I mean, yes, you need to hit certain minimum standards with your speed and your size and your agility and your medicals, right? You need to hit those minimums. But, you know, Rishi Rice on tape, it's not even close to who's a better football player, you know, to me. You know, I mean, Palmer had a really hard time catching the football consistently. And the numbers say that, but also his tape says it as well. Rice, I thought, was one of the better contested situation guys all year. Um, now, why was he in contested situations so often? <laughs> you know, he, he has a hard time getting open. And I think that's going to be something that he needs to improve skill set-wise at the next level is getting the most out of himself athletically um, as a route runner. Um, there's, some, there's a lot of upside there that's untapped. And the SMU system, right, that offense, you can tell it's not a big part of what they coach and what they teach there, right? Did not run a wide route tree. Um, they create a lot of space for the receivers. and But he's a competitor, and I want guys that in contested situations, they, they don't shy from it. They don't, uh, they don't alligator arm it, and he's tough. And, and I think there's, there's something in his game that, that um, Palmer just doesn't have. Palmer's a guy that with decent size, great speed, um, and will occasionally make that downfield pass, uh, that downfield catch. But for my money, for a guy that's going to impact the game, play to play, Drive to drive, drive to drive, week to week. I'm going with Rishi Rice, and by a pretty considerable amount. I mean, th- these guys are about eight spots away on their wide receiver stack. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, and I, I do think these things do do tend to regress back more towards the mean in the film as we get closer and closer to draft weekend. I think Brian Branch is the perfect example, right? He was locked in everybody's top twenties. Then all of a sudden, the, the pre-draft process started. All of a sudden, you didn't see him in round one mock drafts, and all of a sudden, as we're closing in on the the, the NFL draft, you're starting to see him back in that mid you know, teens to mid twenties range, which I think is appropriate for his level of skill set. So I feel like it's just it's just a long process and the 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 media and the constant evaluating every aspect of the pre-draft process, things usually sometimes are a little cyclical. And I think we'll probably see that with these wide receivers. If we were having a conversation last year when you came on about next year's wide receivers, there's no way we would have talked about as many wide receivers tonight before the name Kayshawn Booty came up. What are we to make of this? He's, he's, it's like an enigma because a couple of years ago, we all thought this guy was on a trajectory to be in a round one type wide receiver. Then it just hasn't materialized. He wasn't as big as I think most people thought. He wasn't as fast as most people thought. How do you value Kayshawn, and where would you think? Where do you think he's gonna go? Where do you think he deserves to go on draft night? Really, really interesting situation. You know that that was a great lead into to what he is because yeah, I mean even going into this year, um, before week one, I, I come up with a wide receiver stack over the summer. It's it's obviously not set in stone. It moves around a lot, but I like to have a decent feel. And he was top three no matter what. I mean, no matter who you talk to, he was top three, and 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 rightfully so. Um, what happened? He dropped a lot of balls. <laughs> you know, he he looked lackadaisical out there. Body language, route running, effort. It was pretty easy to see that he wasn't all there. Um, I did some extra digging on him. Um, 
through some sources at LSU and then just did a lot of reading to stuff that's actually out there publicly. And, you know, he played under two completely different regimes at LSU. You know, uh, Orgeron, the way they ran things was a lot of a uh, lot more uh, lax, you know, do your rehab on your own, show up when you want. Kelly comes to LSU and it's much more regimented. And that wasn't what he was used to. And there were some issues there. And I think the relationship between him and Kelly uh, was not good. You know, for a time, it sounded like Booty was going to go back to LSU. And then all of a sudden, he changed his mind. And I think that was the reason why, to be honest with you. I just don't think he really drives well with this new staff. And, um, you know, he also had a kid last year. You know, and you and I both know that that changes a lot of things. And, you know, if I was 21, I don't think I'd be ready for it either. So I think a lot went against him. Um, and, you know, you have to ask yourself, is this an immaturity issue? Was there, was there more truth to the story that's out there right now that can defend Booty and someone's going to get a great value? The people I talk to that know a lot about the LSU inner workings have said that someone's going to get him early day three and he's going to be one of the top five receivers in this draft class. You know, he, like a classic, I need a fresh start type uh situation here and you know if you're if you're asking me to put my money on that i'm not there on him i'm gonna keep him in the round four tier and just say hey you're gonna have to earn your way back to it like i'm not gonna use one quote from one person and try to create a picture perfect around him um in my opinion he handled 2022 wrong if you don't want to get into the off-field stuff and say hey dave that's unfair fine let's go to the tape you know he was not good in 2022 this pre-draft process not good either Right. So, you know, like you said, not that fast, not that big, drops the ball a lot. What, what are we really getting here? A guy that was good in 2020. Is that really what we're going to spend a, a day to pick on in a receiver class that is loaded with guys that you are going to project to be stars in the NFL? You know, it, it's a tough situation to figure out. I hope he gets put into the right situation. Um, you know, New England would not be a good spot for him. <laughs> you know, a spot that's you know, probably not that fun to play football at. Yes, they win games. They've had a lot of success. But, you know, uh, I think the pre-draft meetings are going to be very important for him. But I think it's, he's got to go to the right culture and have a right guy or two on that wide receiver group on that team that can really show him the way without feeling like he's, you know, being treated like a little kid. Yeah, it's going to be fascinating. And I think if he tested well, I think more teams would have maybe been willing to kind of look past some of the stuff that I think you just talked about. If he, te- you know, if he came in at like six, one or six feet and he ran, you know, four, four, two or something or like that, I think there would have been a lot more teams saying, yeah, we'll still, we'll still go day two. Now mm-hmm. I think with the bad testing, the bad production, the other stuff, I think that's why we're probably looking at round four for him, unless mm-hmm. somebody just kind of says, "Oh, we're going to buy the what we think could be the upside there." But it's going to be interesting. He's 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 another. We talked earlier. I said Quentin Johnson polarizing. You know, Booty for different reasons. You know, name value. You know, people who who follow college prospects for years. This is a guy that's been a big name for a long yeah. time. So to see him maybe being there on day three is, is definitely going to be you know a little bit of shocked. I think some people you know that that have seen him you know high on rankings from before you know this past college football season. If they haven't really you know looked at more recent rankings, that's going to you know be a little bit of a surprise. Uh, 
Let's go back to another small guy. We've talked about a lot of small guys, but I, I'm intrigued by this one. So I'm interested to hear your take uh, of Charlie Jones out of Purdue. I think he's on that round three, round four border, probably goes round four. Uh, but but I like I like what, what he brings to the table. Uh, maybe a little some quick thoughts on Charlie Jones out of Purdue. Yeah, you know, it's funny. When you're introing him, I was like, he's going to say Charlie Jones. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, he, he's, a, he's a fun kid to watch play football, and I love his story, right? Um, started off at Buffalo, 2000, 2000, uh, 2017, 2018. Um, started to make a name for himself in 2018. Um, then spends three years at Iowa. Sat out 2019, 2020, and 2021. He's really, um, you know, an, a, a punt returner and a receiver on an offense that didn't throw the ball that often. And you know, last ditch effort goes to Purdue. He played pop Warner football with the quarterback Adrian O'Connell, who's also a prospect in this draft. Um, you know, he, he he blew up right away, and he maintained the production. And I'll tell you what, this is what I like about him. You know, there's two things I like about him, okay? He he beat Devin Weatherspoon and Joey Porter Jr. You know, and one of the most important things to my tape study with every player, right, is how well they do against their best competition. When they're lined up against guys that are going to be in the NFL someday, as soon as next year, how did they play? Do they need to dominate? No, but I want to see those traits that we like carry into those situations, right? And he beat both those guys on all levels of the route tree. And then he goes to the combine and runs a 4-4-3, 36-and-a-half vertical. You know, I mean, 5'11", 175, you're back in that Jordan Addison range where you're saying, all right, that's, that size is a little bit of an issue, but – the fact that he's, you know, played at three different programs and performed this way with Purdue, you know, I, I love this kid. You know, I almost put him in the in the day two discussion, you know, and I still think there's a shot that that he could end up there. Uh, but in this wide receiver class, it's it's hard for me to put him ahead of some of the guys that I have him there. But I, I would be excited to see him go round three because I think he deserves it. I really do. Um you know, there's just a few things about his game that you question, is it going to carry over to the NFL? That That's the – but, again, you go back to the Weatherspoon and Porter tapes. I mean, he beat those guys up. So uh, I love Charlie Jones, and if, he put, if you put him into the right system and give him – actually give him an opportunity, I think he could be a guy. Yeah, I, th- I think he's going to be a fun player. I wouldn't be stunned if he goes late round three – but I think probably early portion of day three. We've talked a lot small wide receivers. Let's pivot to some bigger wide receivers. The the frames fluctuate pretty significantly here, but all bigger than the guys we've been talking about for the most part. Uh, Elijah Higgins out of Stanford. Some people think maybe a move tight end. You know, he's 235, 6'3". Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa State. He's about almost 6'2", 203. And Michael Wilson out of Stanford. The, the consensus that's out there seems to think that these guys are early day three types. Do you kind of agree with that? Do you have a day, do you have a late day two grade on any of these guys and maybe talk uh, about a couple of these guys, maybe who you like the best out of this bunch. So not lying about this, right? Hutchinson Higgins, Wilson are one, are one, two, three um, <laughs> on my wide receiver stack that goes, you know, 94 yards deep. Um, so it's just funny that those are the three guys you bring up. I mean, they're all in the same tier to me. I have them round four, round five, closer to round five. So you're starting to approach more midday three. Um, Higgins is the most intriguing to me. Uh, just because 6'3", 235 with enormous hands, he ran a 4.54 four. at that size, that's that's big time. You know, that that's big time speed at that size. 
Um, and I do think he's probably going to move to an F tight end motion type role. Um, when I say tight end, try not to create this picture in your head that he's going to be in line blocking tight ends like the Giants tried to do with Evan Engram, right? I think he's going to line up in the slot primarily, which a lot of teams are now – I think that's going to be the trend that we see as soon as next year as most teams are now going to put a lot of big bodies in the slot. And he, he's a guy that's made for that role. Um, so he goes from an average athlete at receiver to – elite athlete at tight end. And uh, I actually think as a pass catcher, as a contributor to the pass game, I think he can be Evan Ingram. I really think he'd be on that level. Um, and, you know, the difference is you're getting this kid day three. You're not spending your first round pick on him. Um, you know, he broke a ton of tackles too. He's a tough, smart kid, right? And I think in day three, where you're looking at someone that's actually going to add something to your team, those traits weigh more, right? You're tough and you're smart. Um, Mike Wilson, I'm not as high on. Um, you know, he put a show on at the senior bowl. And I think, you know, sometimes things at the senior bowl, they get inflated because there's nothing else going on. And, you know, he, the guy puts together a couple of nice, you know, highlight reel catches and in situations where the, the receivers have 90% the advantage over the defensive backs. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, he's six one two thirteen, ran a four, six, right. Uh, his production was eh, a lot of injuries. Drop percentage was really bad. So I think he's just, just kind of like I call these just another guy types, right, where, you know, there, there's 30 Michael Wilsons in the league on the back end of a depth chart, right? There, there's nothing really stand out about his game. Hutchinson, um, tough guy to really peg in terms of where he fits outside, inside. You know, is he a better, I think he's a better slot than he would be. And, and you're not talking about the best athlete in the world, but you are talking about a gamer that was really productive, that knows what he's doing. Right, a, a receiver that can read coverages, react on a dime, and he'll catch the football when it's thrown his way. And he's a competitor, so you know I, I think that the limited, the the ceiling is very limited with him. You know, you're getting you know a number one or number two here, but a guy that you feel good about on your depth chart. Yeah, I think the synopsis on those three guys is pretty spot on. Uh, is there anybody that we haven't mentioned yet that you have a day two grade or a round three slash four uh, grade on that we haven't hit yet in terms of that round three, round four border or definitive guy in your in your day two range? Um, a guy that I have in a similar, well, next right next to, right above Charlie Jones is Ronnie Bell from Michigan. Okay. Um, he's a kid that, that I like a lot, pure gamer. Um, unfortunate torn ACL early in 2021 after getting off to a really hot start, spends the year rehabbing and, and had a solid year in 2022. I, I think that, um, you know, in, in another one of those gamers, gamer types, right? Big moments, he's the guy making the play and they line him up on the slot, line them up the outside. And, you know, I watched a lot of him and I, I'll be the first to admit that there's nothing stand out about his tools, right? He's just very average across the board. But he gets the most out of himself. I trust him after the catch. I trust him as a route runner. And, you know, if, if you're a number four or number five receiver on a team, if you could do a lot of different things on special teams and line up at different spots, it, it makes it a lot easier for a team to draft you a little bit higher than maybe what the, the numbers say uh, measure with the measurables and the production. Um, so that, that, that's a guy that I like a lot as just an NFL-ready receiver that has some Robert Woods in him. Yeah, that's a that's an interesting name. Not getting a lot of buzz. Uh, so excited to hear you know a different take there in some in terms of 
a player like that. Where do you have Parker Washington? Because I feel like Parker Washington is a guy that before the season started and even in the early to mid portion of the college football season, he was generating a lot of buzz as like a, a lock day two player. And I struggled seeing that. But now I feel like it's moved a little bit more towards day three, round four, round five. Is that where you think Parker Washington is kind of valued now? And, and do you see that as the appropriate value? Yeah. I mean, so I had Charlie Jones. Uh, sorry, I had Ronnie Bell. Charlie Jones, Parker Washington. So he's in the same tier as a lot of the guys that we just got. And then it goes into, I'll give you one more name after this. And then it goes right into that Hutchinson, Higgins, Wilson. So again, these guys that we're talking about are kind of on the same page with where they stack up. Um, in regard to Parker Washington, unique body type for a slot receiver, um, 5'10", 204. So that's pretty thick for, you know, you consider a guy that's 204 pounds, that's five, you know, under 5'10". Um, but short-armed, Small wingspan, a little stiff as a route runner, which you don't like to see um, out of a guy that's going to be in the slot. He's not going to be outside. Uh, doesn't have that breakaway gear, but he's tough to get to the ground. He has some running back in him. There's like some running back traits with, with what he does. He runs really low to the ground. He's shifty. with. Um, he's got great vision, too, after the catch. Um, and another one that just has a knack for making some crazy catches, you know, away from his body and – you know, we're not talking about a wide radius here, so you're not going to have a lot of margin for error when you throw him the football. But, um, you know, 10-inch hands that, you know, he he really, he's like uh, Cedric Tillman when we talked about earlier. He attacks the ball with his hands. He doesn't let it get into his body. And I trust him in contested situations. So he'll be a slot, one that can really handle the physical rigors of being tough and, and hard-nosed. Yeah, I, I, I comped him and said he's a discount version, not the same talent of Jarvis Landry in terms of where he athletically testing, in terms mm-hmm. of the body type, the physicality. Uh, but, I, but I think where he's going to end up going now provides good value, not where the hype was round two. I never saw that. But now I think if he goes off the board early, day three, round four somewhere, I, I, think, I think he's a, a player who could add value to a depth chart for all. Uh, Let's open this up. Final question of the night. Late round sleepers, whether it's small school, whether it's a guy that maybe we haven't talked about. Like, you know, we had a guy like, you know, Trey Tucker, some people are into Bryce Ford Whedon, CJ Johnson out of East Carolina, Jason Brownlee out of Southern Mississippi, the speedster out of Princeton or, or anybody, any, any late round guys that maybe intrigue you that you would say, you know what, of the, of those guys who are going to probably go off the board five through seven, here's a couple names that really intrigue me the most. So, yeah, so I'll say the, the, the best uh, non-combine receiver, uh, he, was not, he did not get a combine invite, is Deuce Watts from Tulane. Um, 6'1", 195, a JUCO kid that um, came to Tulane in 2020, so during the COVID year, so just a tough transition time. You always have to, you know, he's going to turn 25 as a rookie. He's one of those older rookie types, um, not a big deal. I love the footwork that he has, and he's got some breakaway speed to him. Um you know, he's made a couple big boy catches, you know, on, on fade routes where he's got a guy draped all over him and he's the one that gets he gets to the ball at the apex. You know, that's a skill that a lot of receivers don't develop, you know, is can they get to the ball at the top of their leap, right? He, it's all about timing, coordination, um, and just want to, just desire. He's got a big competitive uh, kind of tick in his, in his game that I like a lot. Um, just really good at adjusting to the football, too. I just think when, when I look for a receiver, especially late in the draft, that I think, all right, can this guy turn into something? It's body control. It's balance. You know, moving at a high rate of speed. And he's got he's got just probably some of the best body control of anyone that you are, you're going to find. 
um, on day three. Um, let's see, another guy that's uh, another combine invite snub, in my opinion, smaller framed guy, Xavier Smith from Florida A&M. Um, you know, he was one of the, the, the best players that I saw in the uh, – in, in, in the the bowl game, not the NFLPA or the uh, Shrine, the the HBCU bowl, um, you know that they, they he was uncoverable, and there were actually there are some guys in that game, some defensive backs are going to get drafted. They'll be drafted late, you know. That's not a game that gets a lot of draft picks, a lot of undrafted free agency types. But he they could not touch him in, in coverage. You know, you talk about a shifty slot that can do things as a returner, that can do things out of the backfield. Isaiah McKenzie type. You know, just remember that name. He'll probably get drafted late, but his name is Xavier Smith um, and just kind of blew away agility scores and has a good enough 40 to be considered a big play threat. Yeah, guys, really interesting names there. Late round sleepers, late round gems. Interesting wide receiver class. You know, we always have, you know, somewhere in the 30s, mid 30s. So it, I think it's going to be an interesting class. I think it will be interesting to see how many go off early on that night one. I think that's something that, you know, I know it's Saturday, Sunday here. I've been saying, I think it's possible more tight ends and wide receivers go in round one. And that's wild considering any other year. That's like, you know, like it would be left off uh, if you thought that. But I do think there's a real possibility this year. It could go three, two even, or maybe they, they split it and go three, three. But I have a hard time seeing six or seven go and you start adding up four quarterbacks, V John, right? How many skilled players are going to go in round one when we know it's a deep cornerback class and a bunch of offensive tackles? So it's going to be fun to watch that. Uh, David, thank you so much for hopping on here tonight. Greatly appreciate We can talk hours and we can go on. But we hit probably well over 20 wide receivers tonight. Uh, I appreciate the time for sure. Please let my audience know where they can follow you uh, or anything else you want to uh, push. Yeah, I mean, the the Our Lads uh, draft guide is being sent out. I just got confirmation today on Friday. So if you go on to OurLads.com, you can order your draft guide there. We do have a PDF version as well if you're one of those guys. I love, you know, flipping pages. I'm still a little old school in that regard. But, you know, we have both options available for you now. Um, me personally, um, I'll be tweeting the entire draft weekend, every draft pick out, at least for day one, day two. I, my, my mission is always day three as well, but... You know, with a uh, a soon-to-be three-year-old, that that gets a little unpredictable, and um, so you know, I'll be on uh, the Twitter handle is at rlads underscore sy. That's o u r l a d s underscore s y, and I'll be very active draft weekend. If you just want like a little different kind of tidbit on on the player himself and also the team fit, because that's a big part of my job at rlads is is tracking NFL team situations and personnel groupings and coaching schemes and all that. Um, I'll, I'll try to make it as unique as possible because I know uh, draft media can get a little repetitive this time of year. And I can promise you that my views are my own. They go against the norm in a lot of ways, um, but it's comes from the uh, probably 12 months of work. You know, I, I remember starting on this rookie class last May and it's all come down to this moment. So I'll give you everything I got. Guys, make sure you're following David, make sure you're checking out all his great work for, for the diehard Giants fans listening, uh, I know we talked a little Giants tonight, but if you want a whole conversation here in David's take on the Giants, make sure you go check out. Uh, he joined uh, the Giants Insider podcast, I think it was last week. Yep, last and week, we- and I'll be on the uh, the Big Blue Banter podcast, I believe, next Wednesday. Okay, so guys, make sure you're checking out those Giants-focused uh, podcasts if you want all David's talk uh, takes on the Giants and their maybe draft plans for uh, this upcoming NFL draft. So on behalf of David, 
on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano, and myself. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.